Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. Canadians are continuing to help people in the Bahamas following the destruction of Hurricane Dorian. There's a certain pride that we have. You can see it on your teammates when we're doing good things um, and helping the very early stages of recovery for that island. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. In the last episode of this podcast, we spoke to a Canadian man named Mike who went above and beyond to help a family that he barely knew from the Bahamas come to Canada following the devastation of Hurricane Dorian. It just was absolutely devastating. And then, so I just started going through my phone book of all my friends down there and I just started texting everybody, are you safe, are you safe, are you safe? And Dexter was actually the first person to respond. Um, And he was one of the people that worked with us down there. And uh, he was one of our friends down there. And he responded, right now I am, but I've just lost my roof. And then he texted later that he'd got out of his house and his house had been destroyed. Wow. And we, yeah, and we'd been in contact with him. And, um, and then a couple of days, I mean, a day or so went by and, I talked to him again and he said that, you know, the situation was getting really, really bad. And he sent me a text message and just said, what do you think the chances are? Can you get me to Canada? Things are really, really bad here. There's dead bodies floating by. There's all the houses are crumbled. There's no food. There's no water. And I said to him, yes, I can get you to Canada. And then as soon as I said that, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. Um, But as soon as I said yes, then there was no turning back from that point. In this episode, I thought it would be nice if we could look at another good deed that Canadians have been doing in the Bahamas following that terrible destruction. So we're going to focus on the Canadian firefighters who went down to the Bahamas to help with recovery efforts. Amazingly, they were even able to locate three missing Canadians. Lieutenant Ian Hetherington, Burnaby Fire Department. Lieutenant Scott Ruddy, Burnaby Fire Department. Well, we've been deployed before, so and we've been put on standby before by other governments and for other disasters. So uh, when there is a situation like uh, Dorian and uh, all reports it's going to be bad and it's going to really affect the population, our first thought is possible deployment or being put on standby. So you start, you kick into work mode. So you're starting to check your gear, clear your schedule, make sure your passport's up to date because there's a possibility. Yeah. So that's, it's kind of, you're not just uh, passively observing. You feel like because of past uh, practices, past deployments, that there's a possibility that you'd be going. We've heard incredible stories of Canadians going down to help 
the victims of that hurricane or, or helping from here in Canada. But the actions that they've taken were after the hurricane struck, once they saw the devastation in its full form and they were inspired to act. But for you guys, when you first heard the storm could hit the Bahamas is when you started to prepare to go down there. Yeah, I think like Ian's saying, you know, you're you're always prepared. I mean, it, it, uh, there's obviously different natural disasters, you know, there's earthquakes and hurricanes and all different types. But uh, when you hear them coming, you kind of, you know, the radar goes up a little bit and uh, the guys do prepare themselves for getting deployed. And like Ian said, you clear your schedule and, and you have to be ready to go. And so we're always ready. Have you done a deployment like this before? Uh, yes, in 2015, uh, the earthquake in Nepal. So we were deployed to Kathmandu for eight days. For myself, the last one was uh, the forest fires up in the interior of British Columbia. So it wasn't necessarily a search and rescue mission, but it was a, a team deployment very similar to what we did here. Considering your previous experiences, how did what you saw in the Bahamas compare? It was a lot more uh, destruction in the Bahamas, although... You know, a 7.2 earthquake did a lot of damage to an ancient city like Kathmandu. Um, but uh, the fact that the storm surge came in after a Category 5 hurricane leveled every building and then a 20-foot wall of water came in and washed it all around. So it was noticeably more destruction. It, it was uh, it was really almost surreal to see, actually. I'd never seen destruction to that level and, you know, just things that don't seem normal, you know, to look at were the norm. Like there's a giant barge in the center of, of Mudville, right? You know, and you're wondering how it got there. But then, of course, you realize, yeah, there was a 20-foot wall of water and, you know, none of the boats are in the marinas. They're all over the place. There's basically no roads, you know, left. They had cleared some of the main roads, but there was, uh, it, you know, there are no trees, anything like that. So it's just a, it's almost a surreal type uh, landscape. So it's very hard to describe and take in. It's truly hard as uh, someone hearing these stories to comprehend what it must have been like down there, what you guys were seeing and what you were experiencing, not just the visual side of this destruction, but having to help people and, and processing those emotions. It must have been very difficult. Well, difficult and rewarding. So there's a certain pride that we have. You can see it on your teammates when we're doing good things. Um, and helping you know, the very early stages of recovery for that island. Uh, we were a part of it. And then our guys, I mean, in their off hours, they were rescuing dogs because uh, a lot of the people on the island left. They left their pets behind or um, they are missing and their pets are still there. So um, there's hundreds of dogs and cats roaming around that aren't being cared for. So, um, you know, in the off hours, our guys were finding dog crates, you know, catching dogs, and then they, uh, there's a international association that uh, landed on the ground there on, on Abaco, and they're uh, flying dogs and cats out of the country uh, to Florida. That's awesome. So you guys are down there helping people and helping the animals as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And then, you know, we there were other positive tasks that we got done too because if you're just going down to do a body recovery, it can get pretty, you know, uh, taxing on the guys mentally. But, uh, you know, the dogs, uh, helping the dogs, that was great. And then we delivered a lot of medical supplies for the clinic where we were staying and made some good friendships and connections there. And, uh, yeah, there were, there were just a lot of, and, of course, finding the other three Canadians was so positive for the group that, you know, it, uh, at the end of it, the positive outweighed the negative. Let's talk about that more, finding those three Canadians. Can you walk me through that portion of the story? 
Yeah, on the second day that we were there, uh, we got a communication from uh, Clark here, our union president, who, uh, you know, he's unbelievable. He was in contact with us just about, every, you know, every day, literally, when we were down there. And he said, uh, he showed us, sent us the uh, message from the government, uh, Global Affairs Canada, that said that there were three Canadians missing. And they gave us the names. It was Carrie Lowe, uh, Dale Hill, and Eve Bouchard. And uh, so what happened on day two then was that Ian actually split off and, and went with his group and uh, did a search up in the last known area where he was supposed to be for Dale Hill, sorry. And that was Pelican Beach. And they found him, you know, just about right away, uh, you know, just driving around, sort of doing the rebuilding process. And and he was okay. And uh, so that was good. That was one that was very positive for our group. And yeah, then that must the have next, been a relief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the next two, you can describe. But Yeah, uh, yeah so um, there was a, a woman missing. And uh, we had reports uh, following mm-hmm. up, just investigating on the island while we're, you know, searching for areas and, and, and clearing areas and discovering deceased people. Uh, we were also investigating these leads on the Canadians. So we heard everything that she was off the island in the United States. It didn't jive with our information um, because she hadn't contacted her family back in Canada. So we did, uh, coincidentally, my boss in Marsh Harbor is Inspector um, Neely from the uh, National Police Force. She was in charge of uh, the uh, operations center there. And she actually personally knew one of the Canadians and she was shocked that she was uh, listed as missing. So she gave me a cell phone number that she had so I, I followed up on that cell number, uh, teammates of mine, we kind of uh, investigated, followed leads, and we found her residence, and we found her roommates, and I guess she was traumatized by the storm. We actually never, we had confirmation she was alive, we had a picture, a date of birth of her after the storm, um, but she was traumatized, and she was three days in a bathtub with eight people while the house disintegrated around her, and uh, just was thankful she was alive, and... Uh, not sure what she was going to do next. We, uh, yeah. my team had checked in with the local clinic up there uh, in Treasure Key, and we had multiple hits on like confirmations for her well-being and stuff. And you know, the uh, clinic there was very capable of looking after people, like which was actually surprising considering how much destruction had happened. But they had a, a trauma doctor there, and they had several nurses there. They had good equipment. They had police in the area as well. So. Uh, we were confident that she had all that she needed uh, in order to to stay there and be okay. So, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I guess uh, the house was being blown apart around them, so their last area of refuge was a bathtub for three days, and then uh, that was all pretty much was left that was standing was the the bathroom that they were in. So her residence was right on the beach. She, she fled Marsh Harbor, um, to a remote location on the island called Treasure Key, uh, thinking that, that the storm wouldn't reach up there. But the storm did. It was uh, it basically hit all parts of the island. So, yeah, and that's where, that's where we ended up uh, finding her. It was up in Treasure Key. Coming up later in this episode. He just noticed that his dog hit on something and then wanted to kind of go back to it, but it wasn't, a, you know, an absolute definite, you know, signal that there was something there. And sure enough, we investigated the spot and there was a deceased person under the pile. You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. Download and subscribe online now. 
What about the third Canadian? Third Canadian was a resident of Treasure Key as well, coincidentally, on that same day. Um, you know, following leads, we talked to somebody on the side of the road, asked him if he knew uh, Yves Bouchard and just the way things were going for us that day. Of course he did. <laughs> he, he let us right yeah, yeah. to his house. And, uh, yeah, we made sure he was okay. We gave him some drinking water. We offered him uh, transportation, um, but uh, he was choosing to stay there. He was very uh, – he was involved with a close-knit community there. They're very tight. So he was in good hands. Let's talk about the community aspect of this because there was so much <clears throat> devastation. But – what we consistently hear following Hurricane Dorian is how the communities in the Bahamas have rallied together and supported each other. Did you see a lot of that when you were down there? Yeah, we saw a little bit um, in Marsh Harbor area, the clinic where we were staying, Marsh Harbor Medical Clinic. There were people kind of popping in and out of there, and uh, there, there weren't many people left there. That's the one issue. But um, everybody that was there, I was shocked. Like, they were pretty positive and pretty optimistic and they received us quite well um you know so we definitely have to you know thank them for doing that uh because of course we go into those situations and they're it's very difficult to to find your appropriate uh, place you're going to stay and set up shop all that kind of stuff but yeah the community was definitely rallying like we didn't uh see you know a lot of the uh, looting issues or security problems that people had reported um, we did hear that initially there was some, you know, that were down by the docks area, but there was initial confusion and, and um, you know, uh, fear and stuff. So that that uh, uh, can cause that, but, uh, you know, it wasn't as bad when we got there. You brought your own rescue dogs down there as well to help in the the search mission. What's it like working with these dogs? Uh, it's, it's great to work with them. So they're uh, highly trained and... Um, they make our job a lot easier. So there's just basic rules that you follow with, with handling a dog. You don't want – you want the area uh, to be searched by a dog to be clear of people if you can. And uh, you want to have the right wind direction at the right level so that the dog's nose. And then they will hit on either a live victim or a deceased victim or something. Um, you know, there's very few false hits for the dog. Mm. So they're pretty accurate in – uh, in our case, locating deceased, we, we located uh, six deceased uh, people and then cleared debris and got uh, coroners in to uh, remove the bottle body. Will the dogs indicate to you if they have found a live person or if they have found a deceased person, or do they react the same way if they have any hit? Uh, it's different, yeah. So that I noticed that the dogs will bark and sit uh, for a live, and uh, for a deceased, they'll kind of lay down and scratch the ground. So there is a distinct uh, uh, difference in how they react. So, and the dog handlers are experts in it. We are, you know, we're just teammates. We have our own expertise in other areas like technical search or if you're just running the incident um, from a, a, an IC point of view, an incident commander point of view. The dog handlers notice the subtleties of their dogs. So one of the hits in particular, it was really subtle. He just noticed that his dog hit on something and then wanted to kind of go back to it, but it wasn't a, you know, an absolute definite, you know, signal that there was something there. And sure enough, we investigated the spot and there was a deceased person under the pile. That's incredible, the skill that it takes and the partnership that it takes in working with an animal that is trained 
in that way because just recognizing that subtle difference in their behavior could be the difference between life and death for someone who is trapped under rubble if the dog had hit on a live person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, Like I said, the handlers know their dogs really well. And uh, one of them said it's... Uh, like being deployed seven days with a toddler because they're always like on the leash and yeah. uh, taking care of it. They look after their dogs before they look after themselves. So yep. any kind of cuts or abrasions, their diet, you name it. Um, Just keeping them cool too. Yeah. Like that was a huge yeah. challenge, you know, like with all the, the lack of ground cover, like we had to take our own tents, which actually turned out to be a really good plan. And, uh, you know, we would do our search cycles in three hour or two hour increments because we we just had to go at the pace of the dogs, right? And then they would go for a bit, they would get tired, bring them back to the tent area. And then a lot of times uh, that their handlers would just pour water on their bodies and just kind of massage them a little bit and make sure that they were okay and comfortable and cool. So uh, I know that Charlie, the lab in there was so funny. Uh, Chris's handler was telling us, he said, I know he's tired when his tongue hangs right out the side. (laughs) (laughs) And it was definitely a few times when that was happening. So we're like, okay, Charlie, let's go back to base. (laughs) Now, your whole team has returned back home again. Do you feel satisfied now that you're back here with the work that you've done? Do you feel a sense as though there's, there's more that you wanted to do that you weren't able to do? You know, where are you at peace with returning home and leaving that devastation behind, even though you did incredible work when you were down there? Yeah, the, the, it came to the point in the deployment uh, in our area of operation where search was ramping down. And that's really what our number one task is, is search. Um, I would have stayed longer. Or I know everyone on the team would have stayed longer to accomplish other goals, more humanitarian aid type goals. But our primary uh, objective was search and recover, or search and rescue. And um, we, our task started the last day, basically, was the, probably the last day there was any active searching going on. So we're, I'm satisfied with that. And, I'm, and talking to teammates, they, they feel satisfied as well. I, I think that, um, you know, like Ian says, you know, when we go down, it's primarily to search for bodies or, you know, hopefully try and find some live uh, victims as well. But, you know, the positive tasks that we were able to add on to that, like finding the three Canadians and then uh, delivering medical supplies and picking them up at the airport for the people at the clinic that we had made friends with there. And then uh, the the dog issue in terms of, you know, looking after dogs and having kennels and helping that out too, um, gave us a real sense of some completion and some uh, accomplishment, you know. And so I think when we left there, the guys were actually, spirits were pretty high and, and uh you know, we had left feeling that we achieved a lot. But, yeah, when you look at the magnitude of the damage and everything, it's certainly a drop in the bucket. But, you know, if we left it better than we found it, we're pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any plans to go back again in the future? Have you told yourselves, even if you have never said it out loud, that you plan one year or two years or three years or five years down the road to go back to the Bahamas again? Well, we, uh, we actually made contacts down there. One of the guys on the team has some friends that live in Nassau, and uh, they were unbelievable contacts for us during uh, our deployment. They helped us out, and they were instrumental in us, you know, achieving our goals too. So, you know, we promised them that, you know, yeah, hey, maybe we'll come back and, you know, we'll have a, a party again or whatever. We'll try and get them up here. But, you know, yeah, for sure. I, I said to a few people, I said, next time I come to the Bahamas, I want it to be on a holiday, not for, uh, you know, work-related stuff. So I want to be drinking Mai Tais yeah, next time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it would be in future plans to go to the Bahamas. I have a 
14-year-old daughter who uh, I was already, after looking at some of the pictures of the destruction, she wanted to help. So she's asking questions about helping and whatnot. And then she kind of asked if we could go down to the Bahamas sometimes in the future, so as a holiday. So we'll see. I think that that's something important to note that is a side effect of the work that you guys did down there is that you've inspired other people to help as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's just one of the benefits, I guess, that uh, the spinoff of uh, trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I I had friends, you know, reach out to me. It was funny because all I did before I left, and I don't usually use Facebook, but I shot out a little thing with an article that said that we were going. And I said, uh, here we go, wish us luck. That's it, right? And then when we were down there and then the story started getting picked up and stuff, I was just getting hits like you wouldn't believe on Facebook, right? So I think that for sure, you know, you inspire your friends and, and family members and, and uh, you know, half of them are like, geez, I didn't really know you did that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> and other ones then are like, hey, great work, you know, good job on the team. So yeah, we hope we inspire some people for sure. And I think we did. When we were coming up here, even in the elevator, uh, we were just sort of casually chatting. You know, we didn't mention that you guys were firefighters. We didn't mention that you were in the Bahamas. I think all I asked was... Uh, how was it down there? And there mm-hmm. was a woman standing in the elevator going up to, you know, whatever floor she was getting off on yeah. to go to her office. And she said, wait a minute, are you guys firefighters that went to the Bahamas? Hey, yeah. And she said, thank you so much for your service. Thank you so much for what you've done. You helped find those three Canadians. Yeah. Have you had that reaction a lot from other people? Yeah, actually, you know, when we were still at the airport in Nassau, you know, we had a lot of people come up to us then and and you could tell that people recognized us because we wear the blue shirts that say, you know, volunteering in your community, right? So we were easily recognizable. And then they, you know, would say, yeah, thank you very much. And and we really appreciate what you guys did. And yeah, since we've come home and the, the stories have circulated a bit. For sure. There's been people that have said, you know, yeah, hey, we really appreciate everything you did. And and I think that, yeah, the, finding those three Canadians was a real source of inspiration for a lot of people. And they were happy that we have the ability to do that, and, you know, as a country, you know, and that's that was a good thing. Cool. Yeah. Thank you guys very much for what you've done, as well as for this conversation. Yeah, no problem. Welcome. <laughs> This Is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can download, subscribe, or listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. Give us a rating as well as a review, and you can always send us an email. This is why at curiouscast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.